You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next about 60 minutes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Graham. And that is Graham Burke, who I'm guessing a lot of you will know, but maybe some of you won't. So, well, I would introduce you, but I think we're going to talk about pretty much all the things you get up to. <laughs> the, the main reason, I guess, why people who listen to podcasts might know your name and know your voice would be Reality Bomb. Which is yes. So, well, tell me a bit about Reality Bomb, how it came about, and what it is. Uh, well, it, Reality Bomb is a is a mag is a monthly Doctor Who podcast. It's a magazine show. Uh, it came about because uh, my co-producer Alex Kennard and I went to the pub, and Alex is Alex is British, and Alex was uh, trying to turn me on to the idea of Doctor Who podcasts, and I said I never listened to them because because uh, because uh, because there there's nothing of the kind of podcasts I would listen to. I, I love. I love the sort of stuff that I guess in Britain you'd see on Radio Four, or in 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 the States you'd see on NPR or something like that. So you know, very public current affairs, public radio. And and he said, and Alex said, well, why can't we do that? And so we sort of came up with a podcast that did that. So it's a variety of segments, comedy sketches, uh, sometimes music, uh, spoken words, things. It's all sorts of different stuff. And so yeah, we, and it takes up way more my time than i care to admit <laughs> that's probably because of the magazine format right because yeah, you've got indeed. to do each each segment you need to do individually yeah? yeah yeah we do we do and it's tightly it's tightly edited on top of it so it takes yeah so it takes a takes a it's a labor of love which is a, which is a way of saying it takes up all my time <laughs> <laughs> well one of the things about it is the kind of usual and as you've just said you don't listen to many doctor who podcasts if at all the usual sort of format for a Doctor Who podcast, you know, in my experience, is just like three guys and a microphone having a chat. So yeah, it's round. It's it's a round table, and and I I liken it to sort of uh, sports talk radio. Um, yeah, which yeah, is, which is which is great. I mean, and and there's a, there are, there are several I do listen to that I really do enjoy that that have that format. But yeah, it's it's not it's not something I particularly gravitate towards. So doing a magazine style one is actually. Well, it's obviously not unique, but in the world of Doctor Who podcasting, it does make you stand apart from the rest of what everybody else is doing. It, it. I, I, I mean, I think, I think we're sort of part of a of a growing vanguard of magazine formatted podcasts. Uh, I, this week in time travel sort of uh, does that a little bit now. Um, there's a great podcast called the Cole Hill AV Club, which has a has a sort of a similar kind of magazine remit. Um, it's starting, it's starting to sort of take hold. So, but I, I can't, I can't claim credit to being the only one. But we, <laughs> but yeah, but we, uh, we certainly do, uh, we certainly do try hard um and and it makes you i mean the nice thing about the magazine format is it it makes you sort of say okay well 
what is it really that you want to get across? Because, uh, because you know, we try to tightly edit it and we try to tightly focus the, the interviews and moderate the interviews in a way that, that it's, that it's interesting and, and sort of, sort of gets, gets it very kind of gets it to the heart of what people want to right. want to be hearing. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because like a news piece, you really need to get the story out there within just a few minutes, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, as I said, I, I love public radio. I, you know, I listen to when I lived in Britain, I listened to Radio Four all the time, and still, and still do a bit. Um, uh, and uh, and I, and I love, and I love NPR in the states, and so I, I really wanted something that had that kind of ethos of public radio more than more than just sort of uh more than just sort of the, the sort of roundtable format that we have in traditional doctor who podcasts so who is responsible for thinking up the segments that go on and how difficult is it to make sure you've got enough every month because i imagine that like something like doctor Ho doctor who magazine you're forever thinking right what can we do next is that it right? is it, it is that you sort of uh, Alex uh, Kennard my uh, the, my co-producer and co-creator and I sort of get together uh, and and chat kind of every month when I'm in Ottawa and sort of we sort of say well what do we want to do this month and we have it and it's it's very much done it's very much done like a current affairs radio show we sort of say there we have an A segment we have a B segment we have uh, we have a comedy sketch we have an editorial and we have a, a, a regular feature called Gallery of the Underrated where people can champion uh, Doctor Who stories that are either maligned or ignored, yeah. and and we sort of go from there and sort of say, well, what's 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 topical what's in the news what's 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 got the imaginations and then you sort of so that might be the, your your a segment and your b segment might be more of a think piecey kind of thing where you're kind of going well what's the thematic interest what's some, something of thematic interest what's something of interest to fans as a lifestyle what's what's of interest to what's a topic that's of interest to to fans and so you sort of balance that all out i'm guessing you i Unless I'm mistaken, you must be around about four years old. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. We just had our had our fourth anniversary. Ah, uh, you did. Yeah, I knew. Yes, I kind of. I knew you must have. So I'm guessing that the timing of it, so that you've sort of turned up just as Doctor Who production slowed down, and we're sort of getting a series every eighteen months instead of once a year, is probably a bit ironic in that suddenly the sort of amount of news that you you're getting the amount of ways you can keep it topical has kind of thinned out a little bit it has it has uh to our credit we've only actually uh we've only actually not not produced an episode twice uh currently we're in a, in the middle of a hiatus month but because we're uh we're doing a we're doing a live show we do occasional occasional right. live shows uh and we're doing one in new york at the end of the month so we took it we took a month off um, we only did a month off before we did it we did it when when they announced the uh, 16 month gap oh. <laughs> before uh before showing episodes and we kind of went uh, I, th I think we need to take a month off um it did get hard but we, and, and the last gap was really hard um we but we sort of got through it by doing a variety of different things we we did uh, a whole episode that was a that was a single documentary uh, we did we've done we've done other kind of breaks with format just to sort of liven it up so yeah we, we you know we, we find ways we're, we find ways of getting through and you know yeah I think you know I think like all of us we, just, we, we there's more than enough stuff to talk about in Doctor Who well that's the thing 54 years is it now of Doctor Who even if you can't find stuff to keep it topical as it were there's always something to talk about in there oh there always is 
Now, the other the other reason, apart from the thing that we're here to talk about, that people might know you, is the books you've been doing with Robert Smith. How did you and Robert Smith get together? And when I say that, it makes you sound like a couple, and that's obviously not the case. How did you and Robert Smith get together and come up with the idea of doing books? And... Did you always foresee that you would do a series of books or has it just turned out that way sort of by accident? It's, it's a series of happy accidents. Uh, at first, uh, Robert and I have been friends since uh, 1995, actually. He, he had just come to Canada from Australia. Um, I, was, I was in university. He was, he was doing his master's degree. And, we were, and uh, I was going to a Doctor Who convention in Chicago with, uh, with a friend of mine. And I guess I'd mentioned it on, uh, on Records Doctor Who, back when, which is what, what oh, right, dinosaurs yeah. used to use back in the day to communicate with each other. And uh, he heard about it and contact he contacted me and uh and said hey uh, i heard you're going to chicago by train can i come along and i sort of said i remember saying to carrie i do we want to find out if he's okay or not and so we <laughs> so we met with him and and we took the train with him and, and he and he turned out to be more than okay he was, he's been a great friend of mine for years and uh he sort of jumped jumped forward a few years uh, i was editing a fanzine back in the days when fanzines were a thing and uh he and i asked him if he'd be a columnist he, he, for the columnist for it in fact our in fact our main columnist and he he agreed and he he i edited him in a fanzine called enlightenment for about 10 years from about 2000 to 2010 and then and then robert uh, and and somewhere along this time, uh, Robert and I both got charged up about the idea of you know trying to do essay collections uh, because we had because we had we had a lot of good we saw a lot of good fanzine articles and and he convinced uh, Lars Pearson and Mad Norwegian Press to publish uh, to publish uh, a collection called Time and Incorporated, which was sort of a three volume series of essays but that was sort of at the end of the two thousands, and then uh, shortly after that uh we 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 sort of uh i had pitched at a certain point um a i wanted to do uh, i'm gonna have to the... break in by the way and recommend that if people can get hold of the time unincorporated volumes they're great volumes oh thank you very much <laughs> cheers cheers i'm very quite, quite proud of them and they're kind of they're kind of quite obscure now um so yeah uh around 2010 or 20 uh, or so robert and i uh were at a convention and a friend of mine said you should go and uh talk this uh writer named Nik nikki stather she writes these guidebooks about lost and she and maybe her publisher would be interested in a doctor who book and i had earlier tried to publish uh pitch a doctor who guide along the lines of this continuity guide which is a much loved and if you haven't bought a copy of that go look for it on amazon it's still there's still you can still get copies it was a much loved guide to the classic series that paul Cornell, martin day and keith topping did back in back in the mid 90s and it's funny it's irreverent it it, it and it but it's very very thoughtful and and, and had just it just loads of loads of great things about it and so we said so i said well why couldn't we do this for the modern series why couldn't we do why couldn't we do a, a book like this and and i pitched it and it didn't really go because it was kind of like uh i, I think the publisher i pitched it to just didn't see the value in doing um 
something that was I, I think I said accessible and lively and sort of yeah. sort of and sort of more for the masses and for and for the hardcore fan. And so the, and so it didn't go anywhere until I met with uh, Nikki Stafford at, at ECW Press, and she said, "Well, you should send this proposal in." We did, and they and and they they loved it, and they said, "Well, show us a sample of Tree." So I I took an old review I did of uh, Planet of the Ute. Actually, it was a review I did in a fanzine, and I repurposed it as a guide entry. And then I said to Robert, you know, last minute bit of inspiration, Robert, why don't you type a second opinion under my review? And just sort of, just so we can, and, and Robert, of course, you know, because of being a Doctor Who fan, he, he has in his yeah. head, um, <laughs> his, his review of, of Planet of the Youth stored away. He was, he was in Brazil and had no access to seeing it, but he just remembered what he wrote. And so he just quickly typed a you know, 150 word kind of rejoinder to what I wrote and became the, the capstone of our books, which is that they're double reviewed. Uh, one person sort of does a majority opinion and a, another person does a mini- minority opinion. And sometimes we agree with each other and sometimes we vastly disagree. And so we, yeah, we, we did a first book that was called Who Was the Doctor. It was published in 2012, and it covered sort of series one through six of the modern series. And then we followed that up in 2013 with a book called Who's 50, which was a, uh, a book for the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, where we, we it was called the 50 Doctor Who stories to watch before you die. And we we didn't do it. It wasn't the best 50 stories. It was 50 stories we felt you should watch. It was sort of a, a survey, if you will, of various Doctor Who stories that, that were some of them were the best and some of them were just really interesting stories that you ought to see. And we did that and that was really quite successful. And uh, we then followed it up with another book called uh, The Doctors Are In, which uh, came out uh, uh, two years ago. And it was it was a guide to each of the doctors instead of being a guide to the episodes. And Robert and I are currently working on uh, Who is the Doctor 2? which will probably take us up to series uh, 11. Uh, we, are, we, we, we were supposed to have it out. Uh, it was supposed to be out uh, next spring, but we decided that uh, with uh, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor that yeah. it, would be, it would be silly to uh, just uh, just put out a book with Peter Capaldi's <laughs> face yeah, on, yeah. as great as he is. Um, we thought we'd just, we, we would wait another year. So that's, what we're, that's, that's, that's how the partnership with Robert unfolded. Well, I've got to say, I've got all of those books, apart from the Who is the Doctor, up on this shelf right next to me. You know, the funny thing is, Mad Norwegian, their books will actually turn up in high street bookshops over here in the UK. I don't know if you're aware of this. There are not many Doctor Who guidebooks that will. So these are the kind of things that you can, well, that I used to just pop into town and pick up when I was there. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, for Doctor Who guidebooks, that's quite amazing, really, these days. Oh, it is. It so is. that's that's quite an impressive achievement. Well, thank you. Because we, we, you know, we we just wanted to do something that uh, that other fans would read, but we also wanted to do something that was just that people would just pick up. And the number of people who just sort of, you know, I, I who who've come up to me out of the blue and said, uh, recognize my name or something like that, and said, yeah, I I, I own Who's Fifty, I own Who's the Doctor, yeah, yeah. and 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 it's, it's really quite gratifying in a way. Um, my editor talked to another author that she's working on with another for another book entirely, and I guess they got to talk talking about various things and mentioned and she mentioned Doctor Who and, and he said oh yeah yeah I, I, I got that book by Graham Burke and it's like and she's like <laughs> I edit those I edit those guys so, yeah, it's very funny <laughs> 
Well, the nice thing about those books is they straddle a fine, a, a nice line between being for the fan and for the person who doesn't really know much about the series. They kind of work as an introduction, but written in such a way as if you already know this stuff, you're not going to get bored reading them because they're not just simply spouting out the usual stuff. But as you say, because you and Robert are each giving your opinions on things, they also manage to... Um, have this nice dichotomy of opinion in them as well so they do yeah you you don't sometimes with guidebooks you know when it's a single author writing a history of the series or whatever the opinion can be if you know you don't agree with him then you're gonna get stuck and if you know you do agree with him you're not gonna get your opinions challenged but by having both you and robert working on these you've always got that thing going forward where you know one of them you might agree with the other one of you you might not and so you're always on your toes when you're reading them Uh, uh, there was a very um very lovely review of I think it was Doctors Are In in uh, in Doctor Who magazine who said this is just like what, listening to a, a conversation down at the pub about Doctor Who and I, I thought it was it was one of the nicest compliments anyone's ever done in a print review of our book uh, because because I felt like that's exactly what we wanted to have we wanted to have that kind of element that sort of free flowing kind of kind of uh, you know, people, you know, going at it and sometimes sometimes you're on the same page and sometimes you're not and sometimes you're making fun of each other and sometimes and sometimes and sometimes you're, you know, you're finding new things to enthuse about. And Robert and I so always sort of said, you know, the first line we have in, in our, I think, in Who's the Doctor was, you know, uh, we are here because Doctor Who is the greatest show on, on greatest television show ever. And we've and we believe that. And and so our, our watchword is enthusiasm. And we we don't believe that you 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 know enthusiasm means that you know you you have blinders on you or not you, you ignore all the faults quite the contrary it means that you know but that it means that you care about about the show and it means something to you and you and you want to talk and you want to talk about it and you want to find new and interesting things to say about it yeah and yeah so so that's sort of been our kind of our kind of watchword for for all the books we do and when we and you know so you know so that is how we sort of keep going you know four books in is is that you know we keep we keep finding new things to be enthusiastic about with doctor who well i've always said if you love something you love it because of its faults not in spite of them and i also hold the opinion that if somebody's picking up a book about doctor who or a magazine about doctor who they're not going to want to read somebody who's just slating it from start to finish are they They, i've always been puzzled by that yeah 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 i agree if somebody agree, like, wants to read about Doctor Who, presumably they like Doctor Who and want to read, you know, opinions by people who also like Doctor Who. I agree. I mean, there, there's a there, there's a series of guides to Doctor Who, which I will not name, but but uh, I, I know I what you're de- talking about. I, 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 I once described it as, you know, a guide to Doctor Who for people who hate Doctor Who. And I just because I just I just went, who is your audience for this? Because you have no there's zero enthusiasm for 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 the subject matter. And it yeah. always sort of puzzles me. Like, I don't I don't think, you know, I mean, there are stories I hate in Doctor Who and, and I'm quite clear about I, I make no bones about in, in the books I write, but at the same time, you know, you get to about the you know the sixth review of a story in in, in the Graham Williams area, and you're going, you know, or even the Hinch, Philip Hinchcliffe area, and you're going, if you don't like it, why do you keep on writing it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I the books you're talking about, 
I do love them. They're tremendous fun to read, but I completely agree with you. It's the kind of thing, I suppose, where those books are balanced out by books that take the other uh, approach. So I don't suppose you could enjoy their books if you couldn't also enjoy your books. No, I think so. I think you're right, and and there's, there's a lot of people I know who love those books, and I and I and and I know, and I uh, usually when I usually when I state this, I usually get someone giving me the the contrary opinion quite right away. So it's obviously it obviously has an audience, but yeah, I just, yeah, I yeah. just I've, I've just never understood it personally. Like like well, why take that level of I mean, life is too short to watch te- to watch television you don't like. I've never understood that. Yeah, never, yeah. never understood the concept of hate watching. It, it it completely eludes me. I I am I am the guy that if I get to episode three of a show on Netflix that I just don't care for, I don't watch the rest of it. Why? <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Iron Iron Fist Iron Fist was done for me within twenty minutes and realized, oh, okay, there's a block of wood as a lead. There's no need for me to watch anything more. I, it's just a f- further iteration of this is bad television. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Now, obviously, some of our listeners, the ones who also listen to Radio Free Scarrow, will have heard you talking about Sidney Newman a couple of weeks ago. I've got to admit, I've deliberately not listened to that because I didn't want to repeat anything you I didn't want to deliberately either repeat or deliberately either avoid anything you've said there um, when you came to talk about it on here, because I knew that I was, well, we knew that we were going to do this several weeks ago. Sure. But, well, the first thing I've got to ask is, what we're talking about here is the Sidney Newman memoirs, and for anybody who doesn't know, and I can't imagine that there's anybody who doesn't, essentially, Sidney Newman is the man who's responsible for the creation of Doctor Who back in 1963. But, how did you get involved with this? Because, obviously, he passed away some years ago, and as I understand it, these memoirs have never been published before, is that right? That's right, they had never been published. He he uh, wrote them in 1997, he attempted to try and entice a few publishers in both Britain and Canada, and never quite got anywhere with it. I think largely because I think there was a note given to him by a, an editor or a friend of his that said, maybe you could make this more about... Your career, in, your career in Britain, and he was. It was mostly about his career in Canada that sort of le- leading up to Britain, with sort of a bit of his time in Britain. And 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 I think he, I think at, at the time in his life he was in, he was just. I think it was it was more of an uh, exercise in nostalgia for him. And yeah. I think, uh, and so as a result, I think. Uh, it just it just languished, and uh, uh, his daughter uh, uh, Sydney Newman's daughter Deirdre is friends with uh, the publisher of the of my Doctor Who books, uh, ECW Press, uh, Jack David, the publisher, and he, she mentioned to him that uh, her that that uh, Sid, Sydney's uh, manuscript had been sitting with her for years, and she wanted and and would he be interested? And so he uh, he took it on and uh, passed it on to my editor who. Of course, knew who Sidney Newman was and knew the value of him from doing my doc, from my Doctor Who books, and so she came to me and said, "I've got a pro, I got an idea for, I've got a project idea for you. You want to do this?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Let me take a look at it." And so, of course, you know, I read it and immediately skipped over to the bits about Doctor Who because that's what, <laughs> that's what anyone reading a proper Doctor Who biography ever does. I mean, come on. I mean, did you yeah. did you ser- did you seriously read all the stuff about John Pertwee's John Pertwee's career? You know, <laughs> did you seriously read all that's you know about Tom Baker as a monk, or did you just skip ahead to how he got cast as Doctor Who? Of course you. 
did. Um, and then you go back and read about how he became a monk. But yes, so I did that with Newman. And Newman is very scant about Doctor Who in it. And Newman is very relatively scant about his career at the BBC even. Um, and... And he's he's more plentiful in his stuff about uh, about the Avengers and about his time his time at ABC Television. Uh, he's much so less so with the BBC. Very little about Doctor Who, and so and he says nothing about his career after 1969. So I sort of said, uh, I I think what they wanted me to do was sort of. Uh, uh, you know, a 2000 word precis of how he created Dr. Who or something like right. that. And I sort of said, I said, I can do something very small and, and sort of do that. But really what this needs is one for me to sort of go through the manuscript and annotate it. And two, it needs like a 50,000 word essay at the back, uh, which sort of elaborates on the creation of Dr. Who elaborates on his BBC career and elaborates on what he did in, in what he did afterward, because he had, you know, he had about 20 or 30 years of career after that. So well, well, and, yeah, yeah. Well, you really needed to do is have yeah. his part of yeah. the book telling that part of the story from his perspective but really what you needed to do was have somebody else come in and carry on telling the story didn't you yeah yeah and to their credit they they thought that was a very good idea um and and uh, i was really i was i was pleasantly surprised by that i thought i would have to argue for it more but they, they i didn't have to argue for it at all in the end they, they saw the value in it and i went and i went to uh, and i sort of sort of went to britain and uh, did a bunch of research and did a bunch of research through newman's own papers and sort of, uh, and sort of, uh, I spent. I, I joked that I spent more time with uh, Sidney Newman in uh, in late 2015 than I did than I did any other human being. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was it was it was it was it was, a, it was a, there was a lot of time spent with uh, spent with that man and man and his and his writing. <laughs> well, he's had. Well, there's no there's no uh, sort of mystery about it. He's had a pretty interesting career, and he came over to Great Britain essentially to shake up British television because. You know, British television before he turned up was kind of tweedy and staid and a bit sort of beholden to the past, really. Beholden to its past as an extension of radio. And of course, after he came over and shook things up a bit, television over here, especially with things like Kathy Come Home and stuff like that on top of the Avengers and Doctor Who and all those sorts of things. Television over here after he turned up changed and probably... Well, some may say not for the better, but certainly to make it more accessible and to make it more of a a thing that was able to be ongoing in nature. Because the way television was before, it, well, it might not necessarily have died, but it would have died as something that was relevant. What do you yeah. think? What do you think was it about him that made him the kind of person who was able to come over here and make those changes to the way we did things. Because he did, there's no question of it, have some huge effect on the way we do our television, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And I think there's two things he brought. I think one, he brought an outsider kind of perspective to everything. And I think as a Canadian, as a, as a Canadian who has lived in Britain, I, I know what that's like. You sort of go there and there's, there's different, there's different levels of, of snobbery towards you. And there's, but, was, but you know, you sort of get a, you sort of, but you see a very interesting place and you see a way that things happen and, and, and you sort of, and you notice different ways things are done. And, and I think, I think you sort of see all those things. And I think Newman sort of came with that kind of outsider perspective. And, and, and I think he, he realized that, you know, I think he realized the class system within Britain very quickly. And I think he realized that, you know, the, the television that was being produced in the fifties was very much, I think, based on 
radio to a certain extent and and to a certain extent film and and it was just it was a very it was very middle to upper class it had received pronunciation it had it was very hidebound and and so and the sort of plays they'd show were very much in the in the spirit and tradition if not the actual plays of of Noel Coward and and yeah, and, yeah. and 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 that sort of thing Newman on the other hand you know saw saw something was very much influenced by plays like John Osborne's uh, look back in anger. He felt that was, I felt that was the direction it, it needed to go in. And, and, and so he came in and with the intent of sort of shaking it up for that reason, I think he, I think, and, and he also came from a, from a perspective of having, having, he he went to he actually worked in New York for uh, he was seconded to New York for about a year or so to watch NBC as it sort of you know became a became a television network of its own and then and then was sort of then sort of was in Canada starting up the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Company's uh, corporation's uh, own television service and so I think he had this sort of sense of television as a as a means of mass communication and not necessarily a sort of a a tweety version of radio and I think and I think he uh, so I think he came to so I think he came to Britain with that kind of a sense too and and you know he wanted to do stuff that put bums on seats and 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 interested people and sort of spoke to a much broader cross section of the British experience than than necessarily was it was doing and I think that that's that's part of what an outsider can bring to that you can sort of see what's not being served but that you actually see right in front of you yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about Doctor Who. One of the things about Doctor Who is he looked at what was happening on Saturday nights on British television, and there were all these programmes that were aimed sort of at one segment of the audience or at another segment of the audience. And there was... Uh, you kind of got the impression that the BBC's remit to cater for everybody was, right, let's make a programme for that person and a programme for that person and a programme for that person. And he kind of came in and he'd, he'd done this with the Avengers already. Or he would go on to do this with the Avengers. No, he, it was just slightly before, wasn't it? Of course yeah, it, it was. was. He, came, he came in and he said, no, let's not make separate programmes for every member of the audience. With something like Doctor Who, OK, primarily it's targeted at children, but let's make a programme that absolutely everybody can sit down and enjoy. And that was kind yeah. of a novel thing at the time, wasn't it? It was, it was. He, uh, he certainly, he had a sort of sense that what I mean, what they were trying lots of things. I think for a children's audience, they they had tried they had repeated children's serials, they had tried cartoons, they had tried all kinds of sort of different things, and it never quite took. And I think Newman had the had the sense to sort of say, well, let's let's just broaden the remit. You know, let's broaden the remit to something that would be of interest to all ages. You know, science fiction. When when it was suggested, why don't we make this a science fiction serial? I think Newman really saw the potential of it because that's that's something that's goes just beyond just being for something for the kiddos it's it's something that all ages will watch at some level or another so and i think so i think that was i think that was very very uh, much much at the top of newman's mind with with creating that and it's interesting because i think the people who sort of were recommending science fiction were very snobbish about science fiction and they, and they didn't really see its 
its potential or its value. And and so and I think Newman was very clear that, you know, this could, this is a format that is entertaining first and foremost. So why don't we, why don't we do that? Why, why are, why are we trying to apologize for it? Um, it's very funny because it came, it's, or it's Genesis partially owes itself to a, to a, to a survey of science fiction that was done by, uh, by, by the BBC's uh, sort of a part of the BBC scripting it and by a woman named Alice Frick, another Canadian actually. And, and it's so snobbish towards all the science fiction. It's <laughs> like, well, there's nothing really out there. It's, it's not, it's not a value. And, and, and you know, I think pressed by Donald Wilson, they came up with a couple of titles and said, you know, Brian Aldiss isn't a crank, isn't a crank. Maybe he'd be okay. Um, and so when they actually sort of pressed to sort of do a, do a science fiction show, they bring that brain trust together with, uh, with, uh, with C Weber, Bunny Weber. And, and they say, well, what can we do? Well, maybe we can do some sort of a, you know, a global troubleshooting group that, you know, that's, that solves things. And I, that kind of, maybe that would be science fiction enough. And it's not very daring and it's not very interesting. And Newman was quite clear that he didn't like it. And, uh, and so Dr. Who, I think is a much, is, is more embraces it. It does, instead of sort of being vaguely, vaguely repulsed by science fiction, it runs towards it, um, which is, I think, uh, totally, uh, totally, totally, fits newman to a t and of course the other thing he did when he started doctor who is he went into the bbc and he said right let's make this program and i'm going to put a woman in charge of it and the first director on it is going to be a gay asian chap and the people who were already working in the bbc must have fallen down in horror at that kind of thinking I mean, I I, th I mean, I think I think Verity Verity was the first first drama producer. She was the youngest drama producer. These are these are undeniable facts, and these these cannot be uh, yeah. and, and these cannot be taken from her. But I, at the same time, I mean. There is a lot of there is a lot of women who in the BBC at that point. Grace Wyndham Goldie, who is the who's the who's the uh, dire director of current affairs television, who basically uh, came came up with uh, that was the week that was. Uh, you know, she was there. Uh, there was also uh, there was also a wonderful woman who is not spoken of uh, nearly enough, um, and whose name I'm immediately Johanna Spicer, who is uh, who frankly ensured Doctor Who existed because because at one point. The cost of uh, the cost of the TARDIS set was so exorbitant yeah. that uh, that it was that was going to be cut off, and and she worked out a deal to basically amortize the cost of the of the of the of the TARDIS across across every serial that they produce. And so, you know, you, you look at the budgets for the first, uh, first year, the first year, years worth of serials, there's a line of them called spaceship, um, on it. And that's Joy. Yeah. And Johanna Spicer was the assistant controller of BBC. What was BBC one? She, you know, so it's, so yes, I, I, I don't, I just want to say that, you know, I just think, think, it's, think it's worth pointing out that there were other pioneers, um, but they were nonetheless pioneers. And, uh, and, and I think, uh, and I think Newman, hired Verity because she was the best person for the job. She had, he had seen her metal, um, you know, uh, while, while she worked at ABC, I think he, I think he genuinely believed in her and to his credit, you know, even ideas he didn't like, like the, like the Daleks, which he felt went across against, against, against everything he wanted for the show. As soon as he saw that, you know, she had an idea and she was, and, and it, and it worked, he, he, he stood back and, and ran interference for her to make sure that, that, that she could produce the best work she could he did in in that respect then he's well he's very much a realist then by the sound of it and he's not somebody who lets 
by the sound of it, not somebody who lets the opinions of others or the prejudices of others get in the way of what he sees as the best idea for the job. When you yeah, were... think... go on, sorry, go on. Sorry, yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, the thing that always I always noted about Newman is that he's really super gracious about about acknowledging when he when he was wrong, and and you don't see a lot of creatives do that. Um, he admit he as much admits when he's wrong as much as he he extols when he's right, and I think that's I think that's one of the loveliest traits about him. He he wanted he wanted to read Don Porter to play to play Kathy Gale in the Avengers. He absolutely he absolutely forbade uh Leonard White from using Hunter Blackman and he went and got Hunter Blackman anyway and he was pissed and Hunter <laughs> Blackman turned out to be exactly the right person and he always said that, that that Leonard White was right uh he he was against the Daleks he was a, he he didn't think you could make you could make a you could make a, a long running series about John Galsworthy's novels and the Foresight Saga came out of it he put he put Kathy come home in in turnaround for 2 years because he just thought it was too depressing so you know and and yet all these things became great successes and he never sort of then said, Oh, I'm going to take credit for all that. No, he said, I, I thought it was a terrible idea, but these people thought these people knew what they were doing and I just let them do it. And I think that's great. From, from working on annotating his part of the book then, and from living with that and the rest of his life so closely, what kind of a bloke was he when it comes down to it? He was, he was an interesting uh, he was interesting. He he uh, he he wore his heart on his sleeve uh, a lot, and I think and uh, he was a person that you could he at his peak you could see the enthusiasm which he had for what he was doing and what and that he could he was really great. And the problem was with him is that is that he, it's a very much a story of rise and fall. Uh, his career kind of goes into a kind of a, a descent pattern beginning in the seventies. And, and he becomes very kind of, you can see he's becomes more increasingly more and more discouraged by that. And he, and, but he, but he's a fighter. And, and I, I always, I, I find him, I, I, he's so kind of, uh, you can see him being the author of his destruction in so many yeah. ways. Um, he, you know, uh, he wrote Alistair Milne, who was, who was the top dog at the BBC in 1980, in 1983 or thereabouts, about the time of the 20th anniversary. And sort of, it was, it was the most embarrassing in some ways letter because he wanted to sort of, he wanted, he wanted acknowledgement for Doctor Who. He wanted, he wanted some kind of acknowledgement from the BBC and it was, it was and, and it was sort of. Milne treated it diffidently. He sort of said, "Oh, I'll get back to you." Never got back to him. And and uh, and you can, but you read that letter, and it's so painful to read it because it's it's a guy who's at the end of his rope. He's trying to find it. He's been trying to find a job in Britain and in Canada for over for a couple of years after after his wife died, getting nowhere whatsoever because of mostly because of ageism and mostly because of his because of the sort of downward downward slope of of his career at that point. And so it's it's a it's there's a lot of naked insecurity in that note. And you and you sort of see him go and you and you kind of read these things and you, and you go 
why are you doing that? That's so such a bad idea. And yeah. um, you know, he he would uh, you know in the eighties when he started getting when he started actually getting television work, he'd sort of he'd sort of go back to you know, well, I know what's best for television. You kind of go, you haven't produced a show since nineteen sixty seven. How would you know? Um, and so yeah, that, I sort of had many arguments with Sidney Newman while I was doing this because I'd sort of because I'd sort of I, I you could see uh, the insecurity of a man who had once been really really at the top of his game and and now was very much in the wilderness and i felt i felt badly for him in many ways um he but he was a very sharp-witted person he was very smart he he had a lot of great ideas he sort of un, he sort of understood television kind of at an instinctive level i think in ways that i don't think many yes. producers do and I, and I and i and i really really appreciated that about him um but yeah he was he was he was a he was a t- there were times when i i got very frustrated with sydney over over the course of doing this <laughs> i was going to bring that word up instinctive i've uh, i've had a copy of the book and i've i've not had time to sit down and read it but i've been able to go through it skim through it have a look at all the have a look at what it is and have a look at his writing and your writing and one of the things that sort of stood out to me was and this is in spite of the fact that he's an artist, you know, he's doing cartoons and drawings and things from a very early age, but he's so not an artist, inverted commas. He seems like just a regular guy who has a facility for doing something, and it just so happens that that facility is, you know, in the arts. And so he brings, he brings, like he was saying, he brings an outsider's perspective to British television. I think in a way he also brings an outsider's perspective just to the arts in general. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Oh, I, oh, I'd say that's a very fair assessment. I mean, he, I mean, he was initially ch- trained as, as a visual artist and he sort of came into television very sideways. <laughs> he came into drama really sideways. He, he initially started as a as a visual artist. Went to went to the National Film Board. Became a became a became a eventually became a film editor. Eventually became a, a producer, and then and then went and produced re- live remote television and just sort of took the drama job because he wanted something. He wanted a new challenge and was getting bored with you know you know doing live live remotes of 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 santa claus parades and so he sort of and so he yeah he, so he's so he's never he's never like ensconced in that in in he's never from the, those the things that he's in he always sort of learns it and then and then sort of masters it it's a really i mean he's he's not an amateur he but he's but he's definitely kind of got that kind of amateur spirit of of sort of I can learn this and I can figure this out and I can come up with something great and 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 because he had an instinctive sense of how things worked and he had an instinctive instinctive sense of people I think uh, more than anything he always hired really great people in in the jobs he always had a good good sense of you know these people would be the best people for the job and to a certain extent when you're sort of the de facto executive producer of every single drama the BBC is producing in the 1960s, you have to have a good sense of the people. And sometimes the people he got weren't, weren't quite right, but then he would get, then he would get the right people in. Um, he, he, you know, um, getting Jimmy McTaggart to go, to go, go produce, uh, the Wednesday play was an, was an example of, of, of a tremendous sense of, uh, knowing, knowing who was the best person for that job was. And, and, you know, Donald Baversock, the controller of BBC one totally thought, 
that was totally thought that McTaggart wouldn't do make anything of himself. And yet, you know, Wednesday play was watched by 10 million viewers in, in the end. So I think, you know, Verity Lambert's another example of that. Yes. Um, Leonard White, uh, the, you know, the, the guy, the, the number of uh, Irene Shubik, the number of careers that that Newman fostered um, because he just had he had good in Harold Pinter, for God's sakes. He, he, had, <laughs> yeah. he just had, he, he had he had great Alan Owen. He had great instincts on on people and 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 what they did. Right. We are a little push for time because we've had to kind of squeeze this into a busy couple of schedules. So we're going to have to wrap up quite shortly. But I want to bring up one more thing. And I said this in a, a text conversation with you before we, um, you know, when we were getting ready to record a few days ago. And it's about the writing in the book, because, you know, buying a book about an old TV producer from the 1960s, and it details his career in Canada before he even came to Britain. And so some people might think, well, what's the point in buying this book? Or what will I get out of this book? And of course, this is the chap who, you, when it comes down to it, is responsible for the start of Doctor Who. If that's not reason enough, he had a very interesting career. <clears throat> but the point I wanted to make was about the writing. There's something in the writing, and I... And as I said to you, this is something I find in American books that you don't get in British books. But there's an honesty and a candidness in the writing and a lightness of touch where the way he talks about things, the way he talks about his life, the way he talks about his experiences. You, as you're reading his words, you're kind of living it there with him. It's not like in a British book where sometimes you read the words on the page and it's like you're watching what somebody else is doing. Sometimes I think with American books and some of the best examples would be things like On the Road or Catcher in the Rye, which do this very well. But it, rather than watching somebody else living a life, it's almost like you feel like you're living that life along with them too. And he does this in his book. I think it's an, you know, obviously it's slightly bitty because it was never ready for publication and you've had to come after the fact and do it, you know, without his um input at the time you're working on it but i still think it's there and it lives and it breathes and i think it's a great piece of writing that people would do well to take some experience of uh, the thing about newman's writing that fascinated me about was there was that the opening chapters of the book he does in third person uh because he doesn't believe that you know he's a full he doesn't want to write from the using an I until he actually is until he actually has a fully formed personality. So he writes about Sydney for like the first for the first three or four chapters, and it's oh, very. Oh, you know, I was gonna ask about that. I didn't know if you'd written the first three chapters and then he came in after it that. Was a, it was a very it's a very conscious choice of his, and it was a very oh. conscious and, and a very odd stylistic choice. But it was it was an interesting one because he had a very kind of clear sense of it. He was he had a very clear sense that you. Know, he wanted to make that kind of distinction. I think he had. Uh, I think. I think you're, the great American novel thing isn't 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 far off. I think he wanted to kind of do something like that. He had a sort of idea that he could. Uh, that that he, I, I think he wanted to try and 
do that sort of great American novel thing of uh, uh, of and, and the sort of honesty is is very interesting because you know I've read dozens of Doctor Who biographies over the years and 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 it's interesting to me that you know you get the cer- cer- certain there's a certain circumspection in in many of them that is that is that drives me crazy and there's no sense of circumspection in this he's he's very honest about and he's very honest about his failures as much as anything and he's very honest about when he when he when he hates when he gets angry he's still angry at someone and their bad behavior he, he you know it from him and i kind of i kind of like that kind of uh i kind of like that kind of bluntness about him yeah well look we are gonna have to go now but thanks for coming along to talk about this if you can just let people know when it's due out and i suppose what the title of it is i don't think we've actually said what the title of the book is sure the, the title of the book is uh uh the head of drama the, the memoir of sydney newman uh it is out i believe in the uk relatively now it is out now out in north america uh you can pretty much get it on any kind of website uh amazon of various types uh he uh i write uh, an essay at the end End of it uh that sort of follows all of all the stuff that happens to newman after and also talks about how it, how his role in creating doctor who and sort of adds some new pieces to the puzzle of of, of the creation of doctor who that i i don't think uh i don't think others have ever sort of followed before i and i've got some new material in there that i don't think has ever been seen before so it's definitely worth a read if you're a doctor who fan uh and the other and uh i am also going to i'm also doing another quick plug i'm going to be uh in britain at an event at the bfi of uh, course for, you are i meant to ask you about this yes yeah yes it's uh it's scheduled for uh december 4th uh and i don't really have many more details than that but uh i uh, but there will be a signing for the book and uh there will be and uh and i think and there will be some kind of panel then i'm on or something like that so yes just uh check the bfi website for details when when the time comes oh, i'm sure many of our listeners will uh, be up to speed on that for sure but yeah so so thanks for uh coming along and talking about it graham oh my always a pleasure yeah sure before you go, I should uh, ask you to uh, let people know where you are on Twitter and things as well. Oh yes, um, well my my Twitter feed my uh, my Twitter feed is very boring. It's at Graham Burke. It's G R A E M E B U R K. The proper way to spell Graham. The Welsh way to spell <laughs> Graham. Uh, and uh, B U R K. No E. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's pretty much that will pretty much get all your needs. You can uh, follow Reality Bomb at at Reality Bomb PC and uh, RealityBombPodcast.com. So. Great, brilliant. Right, um, next week, I think we are talking about our listeners' favourite New Who companions and regulars, probably, unless something else happens. I'm never quite (laughs) sure on this podcast. Um, But until then, I was JR. And I was Graham Burke. And we'll speak again soon. (laughs) 